Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. Okay, so today in Going Deeper, we're taking a look at um, going off the grid. That's the theme. Last week, as you know, Pastor Des started with rewilding the tame heart, and today we're looking at going off the grid. So my brief in going off the De- the, the, sorry, going, going, in going deeper is going off the grid, how the church became tamed, some church history. So I'm going to do basically from about 33 AD through to the present day in about 30 seconds. And then I'm going to finish up with Romans. The other two things in my brief were two scriptures, Romans 12, 1 and 2 and Joshua 14, 6, which Daz covered last week. And I'll just finish with that. So here we go, going off the grid. What does it look like to you when you talk about going off the grid? From, uh, is it a, like a solar-powered, carbon-neutral, um, little humpy out in the bush with a toilet and no electricity? Yeah? Okay. For me, going off the grid is a $6 million mansion, solar-powered and carbon-neutral, right next door to the Hemsworth in Byron Bay, uh, with, a, with a solar-powered heated uh, swimming pool and a tennis court. Does that sound like going off the grid? Okay. So what's going off the grid for Christians? Living a sun-powered and sin-neutral life. You like that one? Play on the word sun there. I thought that was pretty clever when God gave that to me at 3 in the morning and I couldn't go back to sleep. Okay, sun-powered and sin-neutral. Sun-powered. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I no longer live in my own strength in any way, shape, or form. I'm sun-powered. I realize now I have the Holy Spirit inside me. I have, I have everything pertaining to life and godliness right in here, given to me by the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. Is that good news? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I don't care how lousy you think I am. God thinks I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Is that good news? I don't care what I think of myself. All that matters is what God cares of me. So there's a purpose to living off the grid. God wants us to live off the grid for a very important reason, and that is to become like Christ, which is up here. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and gave himself for us. And also God has called us for a purpose. A lot of people think they get saved so that, you know, they can enjoy all the blessings of salvation. But we need to realize there's actually been a plan right from the beginning. God created you and I for his pleasure and his purpose. It was not my idea. I don't know if it was your idea, but it certainly wasn't my idea to be created. So the person who put me here, I need to go to that person and find out why I'm here. We're called for a purpose. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. More, now, when it talks about the firstborn amongst many brethren, the Bible said the first man, Adam, was a, a living being. The last man, Adam, was a life-giving uh, spirit. And we are made in the image of this last man, Adam. The same resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is us. We're actually a new creation. And that's, that's an important thing to get in our heads when we talk about going off the grid. 
He is the firstborn among many new brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called, and whom he called, these he also justified, and those he justified, he also glorified. And the purpose of this, Matthew 48, therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, am I perfect in the flesh? No. But I no longer walk according to the flesh. I no longer look at myself in the flesh and what I can and can't do. I now walk according to the Spirit of God who's in me, who can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all I could ever ask or imagine. Is that good news? So, when it calls about perfect, it's talking about Christ in us, is what God's referring to. The purpose of living off the grid is to become like Christ. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain and on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. I'm glad that God loves, what has called upon us to love our enemies, because that's who you and I were before we got saved. I'm glad he made his son to rise on me no matter what I was up to before I got saved. I'm glad God blessed me and I did not deserve one bit of it. And the interesting thing is that's the way God sees his whole world. The Bible says he died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. People's sins no longer send them to hell. It's their choice not to accept Jesus Christ that does, because their sin has been atoned for. He loves each and every one of them, and he calls us to love our enemies. That would be equivalent to you and I loving, uh, uh, just an example, imagine China or Indonesia uh, invades Australia. That's you and I loving our enemy. Remember when Jesus Christ was crucified, the Roman Empire, which had taken over his country, they grabbed, he was grabbed one night, just before midnight, he was dragged off and he was tortured and killed in less than 24 hours. That's what it was like. It was a kangaroo court. It was like being overrun by a despotic country. That's what that country was like. And he said, they're the enemies you're to love. Jesus was off the grid. This was, this was crazy talk to the people who were trying to get rid of the Romans. It also says, and if you lend to those who you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners. You receive as much to receive as much back. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return. And you will be sons of your most high, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. That's how we're called to love. This is living off the grid thinking. This is so we can fulfill the commandment, the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'll get into that a little bit later. Romans 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice wholly acceptable God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Renew your mind to the way God thinks when he created us, when he called us. We need to renew our mind that you may prove and fulfill what is the good and accepted, um, acceptable and perfect will of God for your life. God has got a plan far beyond what you and I can imagine. How? This is how he does it. Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify. The word sanctify is a word, exactly the same word as holy. And when something was holy in the Old Testament, tabernacle, say it was a pitcher or a basin, holy meant it was only used in the tabernacle and not used for any other purpose. You couldn't cook dinner in it. You couldn't serve a salad in it. It was wholly dedicated to that purpose. It was set apart. It was sanctified. And that's what happened to you and I. We've been sanctified. He, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. We need to get into the word of God and not water it down. And not be afraid 
of preaching the word of God, for it is the power of God under salvation for one who believes. People preach the word of God to me, and I thought what they're saying was outrageous. But once that seed got in there, I couldn't get the thing out. Allow the Holy Spirit to worry about what happens next. Amen? Moving right along. That she, that she, the church, should be holy and without blemish. Ephesians. And we're all together as the church. Till we come to the unity of faith and the love of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's why God's brought us together, to provoke another to love and good works. Speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up in all things into him who is the head in Christ, according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Whatever God's called you to do, as we put that together, it, it, it causes this body to grow and we grow together. And it goes on, it says, you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, thinking you're just an individual, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. We have a, a stream from God that is overflowing and just, that's just available to us 24-7. Is that good news? We need to be renewed in our mind and realize it's there. Therefore, be renewed in the spirit of your mind that, <coughs> and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So when I look at the word of God, like I look at the title today going off the grid, it shows me how far I've come. That's talking about salvation. And also shows me how far I still need to go. That's sanctification. It says down here to Timothy, Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Hebrews 10.4, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. We have been perfected. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But now he's, he's working in us to set us apart for his plan and purpose. Exodus. God's plan in Exodus, which is, he says, if you obey me to the nation of Israel, I will make you a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The same thing is repeated in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim, show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The plan has not changed. You and I getting saved is more than just, you know, getting the benefits of salvation. It's, he's now put us and made us a part of his body to fulfill his plan and purpose, which is to get out there and love the, the more enemies that he's got and to bring them into the kingdom of God. <clears throat> How the church became tamed. Jesus lived and preached of a life lived off the grid. It was counterintuitive in their day 2,000 years ago as it is in ours. He spoke of a kingdom powered by faith, hope, and the God kind of love. Not the one that just does stuff to get back in something in return. Not someone who just loves those who loves them. It was a God kind of love. So two things, count the cost. Next week I'm back, we'll look at loving as God loves. That's next. And I'm going to give you a tool that I believe will change the way you see yourself and everything else for the rest of your life. It's a very powerful tool. So following are some statements by Jesus considered by some to be outrageous or hyperbole or just simply off the grid. A man comes to him and says, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Basically, he was effectively homeless. It goes down in Matthew 19:16. But if you want to enter into life, a man says, What must I do to enter into life? He said, Keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, and you shall not steal, and you shall not bear false witness. All of them straight out of Exodus and the Ten Commandments. And then he throws in a curveball out of the book of Leviticus 19, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's talking about when you've got a business or plowing a field, don't take all the grapes, don't plow right to the corners, but leave stuff so poor people can come along and get stuff from, from, from what you've got there. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Another way of put it is, look after your neighbor 
the same way you've been looking after yourself. And that's why this next statement comes up. The young man said this, all these things I've kept from my youth. But he missed this one thing, this thing out of Leviticus 19 that Jesus threw in. He said from my youth, what do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, well, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. When God says, love your neighbor as yourself, as I said, look after other people the way you've been looking after yourself. That's the God kind of love. Pretty powerful? This is living off the grid. Now, a great multitude went to him and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father or mother or wife or children or brother or sister, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus used the statement, bear his cross, they saw people dragged out and tortured to death over several days, gruesome deaths on crosses every day. This was not hyperbole. This was the six o'clock news. And he said, you're not willing to do that. He says, well, which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first and count the cost? As we go into 2021, understand, as Paul said, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. Can you do this in your own strength? Haven't got it. Ice cream's hope in hell. Can't do it. I pray, God, I believe, help my unbelief. God created me a new heart. I need a heart like yours because, quite frankly, mine is not in very good shape. And if I was relying upon what I, who I am in the flesh, I might as well give up now. It goes on and says, some people came along and he was calling them. And he said, I've bought a piece of ground. Oh, sorry, but he called them. He called these people into the supper. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. One said, I've bought a piece of ground, which is I've just bought a farm. I've just bought a new business. I need to go and work on it. Another one said, I bought five yoke of, yoke of oxen. That's like he's got a trucking business. Another one is, I've just married a wife. And they all made excuses and say, please, can I be excused? Same thing with the parable of the sower. The seed fell on the path. People didn't understand it. If you don't understand something, do whatever it takes to find out. When I got my driver's license, the only reason I stopped at the first traffic light is because the driving instructor put, sitting beside me put their foot on the brakes. I was just, but let me tell you, I wanted that license, and so I was going to stick at it till I got it. Amen? Yeah. Same thing with Christianity. Guess what I had to prophesy? I practiced. The first couple of times I thought, oh, I think that was me. Okay, Jesus sent them out and they cast out demons and stuff. They went out and practiced. In fact, they had, a guy, they had a guy's son who was deaf and mute and they couldn't cast the demon out. They were practicing on him and Jesus came along and said, this one comes out by prayer and fasting. There's something else you need to add in here. You need some more practice, a bit of prayer, a bit of fasting. See how it works? They spent three years practicing. Okay, till they got it right. It goes on and says, um, so, and there's others that uh, the seed on the rock soil, they fall away as soon as they, they, have, they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell amongst the thorns, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. And there's some who, but the, the, the seed that falls in good soil, some bear 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, this is not about money per se, because when it comes to 100 fold, Peter walks up to the gate beautiful after Jesus has died and risen from the dead and he sees a guy there crippled and the guys and he turns around and says silver and gold I have none Peter lying he didn't have a brass razoo but he was a 100% Christian he turned around and says but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ stand up and walk is that good news it's not money it's the spirit of God in you. I mean, God might have given you money. That's good, whatever it is. Whatever God's called you to do, to each one's been given a measure of faith, so we should use that. Dan Urquhart preached a great message on this a couple of weeks ago. It's talking about the 30, 60, 100 fold. Well worth watching, getting, getting. Sorry, I got to run. So Deuteronomy 6, 
talks about you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, all your strength, that comes from Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Deuteronomy 8 says, for it is God who gives you strength to get wealth. Now, in Luke, someone comes up to Jesus and said, what must I do? And Jesus said, well, he who has two tunics, give to him who has none, and he who has food, let him do likewise. Now, the early church, church picked this up. If you've got two tunics, give away your one. If you've got some food left over, give it away. So here in Acts, now multitudes of those who believe were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, <clears throat> but they held all things in common. For all who were possessors of lands, plural, houses, plural, sold them and bought the proceedings of the things that were sold and they laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to everyone as they had need. This is off the grid thinking. This, I'm not making this up. This is Jesus saying to do this stuff, okay? 1 Corinthians, now concerning the collection for the saints. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as, as you may prosper, so that he could bear the gift of Jerusalem. Now this first day of the week thing, this wasn't tithes, and one day ask me why I think tithing is never mentioned in the New Covenant church. Remember, the New Covenant starts with Jesus' death and resurrection, So most of what you read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John is Jesus dealing with old covenant problems with people who are trying to justify themselves by the law, and that's where tithing's mentioned. Does that make sense? But once Jesus dies and rises from the dead, you never hear it again. You know why? Because God's not after 50%. God's not after 10%. He's after 100%. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. It's a good starting point if you want to practice with something, but don't preach it as, as a rule. Moving right along. 2 Corinthians, each of you should give. Now, this, this offering here, which was collected at the beginning of the week in Corinth, it wasn't for the local church. It was sent off to the people in Jerusalem who were in the middle of a famine and were starving. That would be like you and I taking our offering every week and sending it off to Afghanistan or Ethiopia or, or, or some of the islands where they've just had a, 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 a hurricane or something. That's what they were doing with it. They were sending it off to other Christians who needed this stuff. Pretty much. But anyway, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You don't have the faith to give, don't. You've already got Christ in you, you're already perfected, but ask God to change your heart and start working on you. Does that make sense? And just do whatever you've purposed in your heart, do it. How's the church become tamed? Some church history. How the church became tamed? Much of church history is the history of the church not doing what Jesus said. Okay, I was then going to go through, so the evolution of the church is with each church there was a new government or founder, so you had, you had Constantine, the Roman emperor, so it became a very institutionalised, and then you had, the, had all sorts of stuff, had articles of faith and forms of worship, but in each stage a new person or a leader came along with a new interpretation or belief, but this always, always resulted for that new denomination, a new tradition, a DNA or culture, which became an established or habitual way of thinking, and so when they read the word of God they began to miss stuff. Does that make sense? It can blind you. I mean, a lot of these denominations, when they did, when that new denomination came along, they came up with something new which was great. I'm sorry, I'm over 15 minutes, drag me off the stage. But anyway, um, but the thing is, it can become habitual. Does that make sense? And that's why we need to get into the Word of God and allow that he, he purifies his church by the washing of water with the Word so he can be continually challenged by it. Moving right along. I was going to go through all the different churches, uh, but um, that won't have a ch- time for that. So Daz, over here. In my opinion, Dad's greatest strength is his humility and his willingness and determination to reinvent himself every step of the way. Is that good news? I mean, that's true. He, uh, Dad said last week, no one gets to dictate how we live. My life is mine to live and mine to choose 
We cannot blame anyone else. Then the scripture he used last week was about Caleb, who was 40 years old. He was ready to go into the land, but the generation that was with him wasn't ready yet. I remember in September when we did You Revolution, there were some older people who said, like, we've heard this before and we were ready to go 20 years ago. And I said, well, you need a Caleb spirit. There's a time for every purpose under them. And like Caleb, you need to be praying patiently. You, you need to occupy till God comes along and is ready to do what you wanted to do 20 years ago. And just keep that fire alive. And it goes on and it says, God finally gave him the land. It says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my brothers who went with me made the hearts of the people sink. I, however, followed the Lord with my God wholeheartedly. And on that day, Moses said to me, the land on which you feet will walk will be yours inheritance and that for your children also, because you have followed the Lord your God with your whole heart. Is that good news? And so 40 years later, he's 80 years old, as fit as ever, ready to go. Is that good news? And God gave him because he served the Lord. He loved the Lord his God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you today. Thank you for, thank you for the word. Um, Lord, we thank you for the light that scripture brings. For the, the Lord, it's life-giving power, the way it rallies our heart, Lord, the way it, Lord, um, establishes our thinking and gives us great clarity. And so we thank you for you today. We pray you take these next few minutes, use them for good. Lord, we don't want to fill a gap. We do want to be changed by you. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I don't know if you've heard of Miriam Lancewood and her husband, Peter. They, uh, she is um, Norwegian. He's a Kiwi. Uh, there's about 30 years age gap uh, between them in their marriage, so that's quite a gap. But they lived for eight years in the New Zealand wilderness. Does anyone know who they are? These guys decided, she was a school teacher, he was a uh, university lecturer, and they decided that they were going to live off the grid for one year. It turned into eight. So no power, no technology, no house. You've got the idea. Literally, they'd go into town. She would busk, buy, buy some groceries, and then they'd kill their food, a little bit like Bron and I do week to week. And so <laughs> the idea, and, and, and it's, it's worth a watch on YouTube. These guys are, it's a pretty amazing story. And, but what I love about them, I love that they just went, you know what? She talks about the expectation of culture, uh, given she was university educated and, and he was a, a university um, professor and um, lecturer. And and, uh, and she talks about the expectation and how they had to step out into the great unknown to live wilderness for one year that turned into eight. And so they really did live off the grid. And I think in terms of God, I think God longs for us to, as it were, live off the grid, off the grid of culture's expectation and to step out into God's great unknown. I appreciated what Mike said that I have reinvented myself over the years. I've never thought that thought before. But really, the idea has simply been that I want God's great unknown. I, I, I want to go where he wants to go. And to get to the end of my days and to live anything short of that, whatever that looks like, um, in the end would be to live less than all I was born for and all that I was called to, no matter what that looks like. And same for you. And so God calls us into to living off the grid, as it were, of, of culture and to step into his great unknown. And, and so I want to spend a few minutes here, going to spend 30 minutes in the next um, 
next service. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 in the message version says this. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. When the writer is writing oh, this translation, obviously, but when the, when the original writer is writing, he's not writing to people who have global preaching platforms or you know, millions of followers on, on um, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram or anywhere else. He's talking about everyday people like you and I. And he says, hey, God's called you to live an expansive life. The only reason it feels small is because that's how you come to it. That's how you see it. But it's not small. It's a large life. He calls you um, to an expansive way of living. And so we're talking about how to rewild a tamed life, a tamed faith. And I don't know. How do you feel about your life? How do you feel about not so much your life, but your faith? Because it'd be easy to feel like you live a tamed life if you have a job uh, or doing something that's not particularly, you know, um, inspiring everyone around you. So we don't really mean that so much as how to rewild a tame faith. Because God lives, calls us to live a large life. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Familiar to some of you. So as we go to it, I want you to think about it afresh if we can for just a moment today. Because it's not that I know it, it's how, how, how close to living it am I? Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I don't know how you feel about that verse. That's, I remember when that absolutely terrified me to the core of my being that I would live in any way remotely close to that. I'm like, I didn't want to read that. I want to block that out. And I look at it these days and go, what a great adventure. What an adventure. The, the great adventure of God's unknown that he calls us to. This off the grid life that he says, hey, surrender to me. Trust me with your future. Let's step into the great unknown. And then it goes on and says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test, approve um, what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. And so he says here, you know, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, given that, hey, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Get lost in our modern world, but I like the way Eugene Peterson puts it. He says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, and going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Um, I think in terms of rewilding a tamed faith, we have a great starting place here. It's stepping off the grid of cultural expectation and going, no, I'm going to live God's way. I'm going to step God's great unknown. I'm going to live, step off the predictable grid of going my way and I'm going to step into great, God's great unknown. And, and I think he calls us all to it. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Capture it beautifully. Trust and rely confidently on the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own insight or understanding. Hmm. You know, what a, an unknown space to step into. Where's the tension for you? The tension for me is definitely in the knowing, definitely in my understanding of 
where I get tempted to not go there fully with God. It goes on, in all your ways, acknowledge him, recognise him, and he will make your path straight and smooth. Listen to it lived out this way. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went off the grid, God's great unknown, even though he did not know where he was going. Now that, I'm about to preach that verse in a fuller message on live stream. If you're someone who doesn't know Jesus, that sounds like a ridiculous statement. Abraham stepped out into God's great unknown, not knowing where he was going. Actually, Abraham did know the end of the story because God had already revealed it to him. What Abraham didn't know was the in-between. And isn't that the challenge so often for us? He, Abraham knew what God had promised somewhere in the future, but it was the in-between. It was what would go on between here and there. The known quality given up for God's great unknown. That, that's in many ways what's on the table, isn't it? The known quantity. Quantity. What I know if I go this way and what is unknown if I go God's. Trusting God's word, trusting his voice, trusting his silence. How hard is that? So what's next for you in trusting God? Uh, The other thing I find interesting about Abraham is this isn't happening at the start of his life. This is happening after he's already trusted God. He's already inherited um, some of the promise of God. He's already been there, done that, gone there. And here he is again, what was yesterday's Um, provision and promise was about to be, sorry, was about to be tomorrow's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Yesterday's promise and provision that had brought him to this moment was about to be the very thing that held him back. It was about the very thing that tamed him if he stayed there. Isn't that interesting in your life and mine? I look at my life right now and go, God's been so good to this point. But if I just stay here and settle down where it's at, which would be easy to do and actually be a nice kind of ride, but if I just stay here, yesterday's provision and promise will become tomorrow's tamed because God calls us forward again to step out, step out into the great unknown and to keep going forward with him. So you know, thinking about our lives, where is that for you? That's the first thing. And then the second thing uh, in the five minutes of God is this. Um, it says here, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you'll be able to test and approve the good, God's good will, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Just thinking about that thought, many of you will know it today. I've been off Instagram and, or social media full stop for about four months. I can't tell you how much better I am. It's incredible. Uh, it's, it's just remarkable how much better I am and I don't feel like I was bad before. Just not being on social media. And um, I miss out on little bits of news when Nordo's crashing his motorbike or something like that, which I'd like to know. But apart from that, I'm enjoying that, that some of the filters that probably dominated my day-to-day are no longer there. And so the Bible says here, you know, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me explain in the minutes that we got. There is Harry Potter. Anyone know who that is? Bob the Builder. And anyone know that one? Wonder Woman. So the first year was pretty good. The second one was terrible. It's two hours of my life. I'll never get back. Um, I don't know. Does anyone go to the gym? Yeah. So these are my gym towels. 
Now, let me tell you, if you look like me, you do not want to go to the gym with a Bob the Builder, Harry Potter, and Wonder Woman towel. Anyone who goes to the gym who sees a male with that selection of towels, these are legit, these are my, I have one white towel that I love, but I have to, so I have to interchange with these. And the reason I have to interchange and use these is because, um, I can say it in this, it's not recorded, Brom won't let me use the other ones because I lose towels and I leave them in cars. And so she says, Daz, can you use the beach towels? And so I go to the gym with my Wonder Woman, my Bob the Builder, or Katie's Harry Potter towel, which is, might be cool for her, but it's not cool when you meet. And when I first started going to the gym with my Harry Potter towel, here's what I would do with it. That's what I would do. And I would do it with the Wonder Woman one as well. Who told me that? Who told me that that mattered? Who told me that it's not cool for a 49-year-old man to bring a Harry Potter towel? Well, you might say, good sense tells you that. <laughs> Am I not secure in my manliness enough to use a Wonder Woman? That's what I've done there. I've gone, you know what, I'm so secure as a man that I can take a Wonder Woman towel. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> they, um... But here's the point. Culture informed me that when you go to the gym, at, at the very least, you take a generic towel. But if you're really a gym guy, you take a active wear, an active wear, gym towel. You wear your, you take your Nike towel or your Adidas towel, or you could rattle off the names, even if you don't go to the gym. You know the towels that I should be bringing to the gym as someone who goes there. If you're a woman, you take Lorna Jane. How I wish we could grab a segment of that market that she dominates. But they, you know what I'm saying, don't you? Culture's told me. Now, really, should I even give a second thought when I walk into the gym? I don't now. I'm determined to it. But, but I shouldn't even give a second thought to a Bob Builder of the Tower. And the person across the room who's judging me, that person over, you know, in the far corner that's judging me, they shouldn't care either. But culture has taught us that you don't take your Bob the Builder towel unless you're six or four. And it'd be like taking a bluey towel. Imagine taking your bluey towel to... Anyway, so here's the thing. Culture has shaped the way I think. I wonder what car you drive. And I wonder if you are middle class. I wonder if you've stretched your income to drive a certain kind of car. And I wonder what informed that. I wonder what would possess us. Like, you, you, you know what I'm saying. We, we, we know, some of us have, would know people who own cars and really the bad is making a statement about what they've got in life, where they sit in life. Maybe you too, maybe me. Um, I was just in, um, it's interesting, I've wanted a Prado my whole life, or adult life. And um, I nearly got there. But on the way there, we bought a VW van and because um, we knew the dealer and he got me. And so when I drive it around here, I still want my Prado. I see Prado everywhere. But the other week I was in Byron Bay. And you know what there's not many of in Byron Bay? Prados. You know what there are a lot of? My VW van. I'm driving around thinking, mate, this is the coolest I've been in years. <laughs> it's like, who wants a Prado when you can own a transporter? They, um, 
But again, you know, you, you live in Tamworth, Prado's kind of, you know, if you're middle of the road, middle income family, two income, you, you might own a Prado and there you own a V-dub van and it's informed by culture. Now, all of that's fine. But what it says to me is how, how much of my life is being informed by culture and not by scripture? You know, my attitudes toward marriage, my attitude towards sex before marriage, my attitude towards, you know, Mike mentioned it before, you know, pastors get nervous when people start talking about tithing and then saying it's not real anymore. They do. They get nervous because they know that people will take that. But if I understand scripture, what Mike said in this half is true. We've got no problem removing a law if people have the spirit. And so, you know, what's your attitude towards finance? If you're in business, how do you, how do you run your business? Are you building with the principles of culture or are you building with the principles of scripture? Because one is taking us off the grid into God's great unknown and the other is leaving us on the bandwagon of how everybody lives. And I'll close with these couple of thoughts. Uh, I don't know who Jordan Peterson is. Jordan Peterson is kind of a believer, kind of not psychologist. He's a famous around the world. He wrote a book, his 12 Rules for Living. And he says this, and I think it's wise. He says, you want to be really, really careful before you throw out what has been established over thousands of years to embrace the philosophy of the day. And I think it's good advice, isn't it? You know, we live in a time right now, I don't know, I think, of gender fluidity. Now, I want to be there for every person who struggles. And I know that some people are born with both sexes. But if I can shoot really straight with you, no, I won't say it like that. It'll be effective, but it'll cause upset. But, you know, there's certain ways that if you are born, you are that sex. And we don't want to be throwing things out too quickly because culture puts pressure on us. Because in the end, you know, before we move on to a new thing, we want to make sure that it really is better than the thing that's established humanity for thousands of years. Well, when it comes to your life and mine, whatever it might be, let's continue to be those who would go, you know, I'm going to live off the grid of culture's expectation. I'm going to live off the grid and go after God's great adventure. I'm going to build his way and I'm going to use culture wherever it's good. I love Aussie culture. But wherever culture and scripture have attention and collide, let's be the kind of people who say, you know what, I'm going God's way. I'm up for, I, I don't want us for a tame faith. I want it to be a wild adventure into God's great unknown in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Very good. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. Hey, in a few weeks, um, I think the first week of February, uh, we'll, we start 21 days of prayer and fasting. February 7 we'll, is Vision Sunday. It's going to be a pretty significant one this year. Uh, more than anything, although it's detail, I want us to capture the spirit of it. Um, um, this year for us will not be about launching anything new in another town. It's about um, things other than that. So, so I hope you can be there for those dates. hope you can lock them away, be part of what God is about to do next. And uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for every person here. Lord, wherever we are at today, Lord, um, I know that you're for us. I know that you, you draw us, that you're with us, that you lead us. So we commit everyone to you. My deep prayer today is that uh, we would be those, Lord, who would live off the grid as it relates to expectations of culture. Lord, um, that we might be those who don't live a tamed faith, but one that uh, 
is up for the adventure that you call us to. Lord, that great unknown that you're leading us forward into. And we thank you for that today. Lead us by your spirit this week. Make our way clear by your word. Lord, and make us a blessing wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au. And thanks again for listening.